Welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about postnatal health and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a journalist and I'm on a mission to find out why we so often fail to give mothers the care and support they need after birth. It's fabulous to have you back for this second series or welcome to those of you listening for the first time. Just in case you're new to Mother Bodies, let me tell you what the podcast is all about. Every week, I speak to an expert or well-known mum. Together, we debunk myths and break down taboos around postnatal health and discuss why the system is failing so many women and what we can do to change parents' lives for the better. This is Mother Bodies. So today, I'm delighted to be speaking to Izzy Judd. Izzy is a violinist, author and mum of three. She rose to fame after appearing in Britain's Got Talent in 2008 as part of Electric String Quartet Escala, and she married McFly drummer Harry Judd in 2012. They had daughter Lola in 2016 after a difficult journey through fertility treatment, and they've since had two boys naturally, Kit, who's now five, and Lockie, who's 18 months. Izzy is the author of two books, Dare to Dream, which is about her journey to becoming a mum, and Mindfulness for Mums, which shares tips for feeling calm and connected amid the chaos of family life. Izzy, I love that line that Mindfulness for Mums is about finding calm amid the chaos because I think, you know, although we theoretically know that before we have children that it might turn your world upside down, I don't think any of us quite appreciate how chaotic it can be until it happens. Were you surprised by how much your life changed when you had children? Really surprised. And it's crazy because I'm like one of four, you know, and so my mum's been through it four times. And yet somehow I think when you become a mum, your brain just forgets certain things. And I think because we had struggled so much to start a family and I suffered a miscarriage, I focused so much on a healthy pregnancy and the birth that I really had given little to no thought about what life was actually going to be like because for me, it was just getting through every day of that of those nine months and Lola arriving in the world safely and everything being well. And nothing in my kind of NCT groups really talked me through any of the effects it was going to have on me and my life. You know, I had the pram and all the baby grows ready and kind of practically stuff was all sorted the hospital bag but no mentally I was not prepared not prepared at all and also still going through the trauma of fertility struggles and a miscarriage yeah absolutely and we're speaking on this series actually to to other people that have been through pregnancy loss and I think there's this real misconception isn't there that once you have that longed for child that the trauma is magically resolved and it goes away and and obviously that's not the case. You're still carrying that and dealing with that even when your baby's here. It's really not the case. And with each pregnancy, you know, I've been lucky enough to go on and have two my boys naturally, but I still worried hugely through my pregnancies. I think when you're exposed to losing a baby, you never fully relax. And I think that's the same for my husband as well. And actually, when we suffered our first miscarriage, we both thought how naive we were, because I think we just thought, well, we've gone through IVF and struggles to get pregnant, surely that card isn't going to be dealt to us. You just yeah. kind of don't, you sort of just, yeah, there's this sort of naivety. And then when you do go through it, it then takes away the sort of magic of pregnancy in many ways, because you're, you're fearful. 
And so when you did have Lola here and you say you weren't prepared mentally at all, what what kind of happened to you? How did you feel at that point? What sort of thing surprised you about the experience? So I always remember, so the first night in hospital, I really, really missed having Lola in sight. I, there was there was just this real feeling of like, but when she's there, I know she's there and safe and nothing, you know, obviously the worries, but you kind of know she's in there. And all of a sudden, I didn't want her on me because I was worried that if I fell asleep, I might roll on her or like drop her or something. But it felt so wrong having her in the cot next to me. And it was just such a surreal moment. And I just didn't know what to do with this baby. And uh, Lola slept through that first night and my son Kit did not sleep through his first night, which kind of set the tone (laughs) for how it was going to continue. But Lola was honestly one of the babies that you never want to hear about. You know, she was the one that slept. She was the one that just sat and played with her toys. And she was just an absolute sunshine baby. But I was really struggling. So she, I always say like she was the duck sort of serenely floating on top of the water and I was madly, you know, paddling underneath. And I have always suffered with anxiety and I had no control over what this baby was going to want and when. And suddenly all routine in my life was gone because I didn't, it was so unpredictable. So I actually found leaving the house incredibly difficult. I felt much safer if I was just indoors. You know, I'm talking about the sort of first 12 week Mm -hmm. kind of period. And when I did go out, I would often walk home in floods of tears. Just found it really, really difficult. Yeah. Just the sort of anxiety of not knowing what was going to happen or was it just also overwhelming? So it took me a while to establish breastfeeding and... The only way I felt I could breastfeed was if I took everything off and everything off Lola and just somehow feed my baby. Mm -hmm. And I was engorged and it was really sore. And again, all the things that you're just not prepared for. And it was uh, breastfeeding for me each time was really tricky, even with the knowledge of each one it's always been difficult. Um, But with Lola, I only had the one baby. So I was able to really persevere. Mm -hmm. But being out and if she needed a feed, I just felt really uncomfortable because I it was sore and I wasn't able to just kind of pop her on. It was like a big, (laughs) just like it just, and I would just look at other people and think they make it look so easy. And I'm, it was a real fear. And I just wanted to get back home where I could just as I say take all my clothes off and (laughs) and kind of just feed Lola and yeah so there was that and if I don't know it was just I just felt very overwhelmed being out of my house yeah that totally makes sense finding it difficult to feed out and about I completely relate to that because you have all these things that you get advertised on Instagram don't you about oh this top with this little zippy hole you can just pop your nipple through and the baby can feed on that and yeah my boobs were so sore the thought of anything touching them even like the edge of a top and the edge of a zip oh my god I would have died so yeah I was exactly the same sort of especially those first few weeks when I really struggled as well so much stuff going on then as well like you're 
I don't know about you, but I was always sweating. Mm. I was always like just my body temperature was all over the place. And obviously you're still bleeding. So you're kind of uncomfortable and sore. And then I had these like silver cups, you know, over my nipples, which make you look like you've got really weird shaped nipples. And then you've got to remove that. And I kind of tried to delicately keep any milk that was stored in there so that I could use it to then clean my like like to try and help soothe my nipples and all that yeah. kind of stuff and just all these things and I just thought if I'm out yeah. or like people are over and I need to feed and I it just I don't know it just got the better of me it's so hard isn't it and I think it's really interesting that you say that it was you found it just as hard with your subsequent children because mm. I think that is something that people don't know about and if they struggled first time around they just assume well next time I know what to do and it'll be a lot easier but it is not always that straightforward not always that straightforward and every baby's different Mm. so and each time you produce different amounts of milk you know each Lola I was like a cow kit I couldn't get anything when I was expressing so it's not even like each baby is the same with uh, Lockie I got recurrent mastitis because he obviously wasn't obviously able to really extract the milk and mastitis is just horrendous. And yeah, so each of them were different and each time, yeah, it was, it was hard. And in many ways for me, that it was harder than the actual birth, the, those early weeks that followed. Yeah. Not that I want to put a downer on, <laughs> on, on it. Of course, there were magical moments. Of course there are. But there's also that reality of I've got this baby and I'm, I've got to keep it alive. And I think the and myself thing is the bit that we forget more, isn't yeah. it? I think it's very easy to neglect yourself and then wonder why you feel so terrible. When I got home with Lockie, so he's my youngest and my third. And I was keen to get home because obviously Lola and Kit were at home. And that first night... And I did, I shared a post about it on my Instagram, but it was, it was like, Lola wanted a story to be read to her. And Kit wanted me to come upstairs because he had some Avenger outfit or something he wanted to show me. Or And Lockie needed feeding. So I was there like juggling this situation, thinking, actually, I'm hungry. Mm. I'm tired. <laughs> I, I want to bath. <laughs> And, you know, all these things. And you just, you suddenly realise that, yeah, it's like and me, isn't it? At the end, it's yeah. that afterthought of, oh, yeah, I haven't eaten or I need to wash. Yes. But it's, yeah, it's so hard. And And one of the things that this whole series is about is that even if you've got the kindest, most supportive partner in the world, the way that sort of the world that we live in is structured is that so often women don't get enough support after they have a baby. Um, in terms of the support that you got, is there anything that you wish you knew if you could go back in time to that first postnatal period? What would you tell that version of yourself? That it would pass. Each phase passes. Nothing stays the same. So when you think this baby's not going to stop crying, eventually they stop crying. Or when you think about feeding or whether they're going to take a bottle when you need them to or whether they're going to I don't know sleep for a bit longer whatever phase you realize it does pass and then you're on to the next and I think that is what helped me kind of second third time especially with Lockie that everything is is a phase and 
one bad night does not mean the rest of the week is going to be bad or you know it's sort of just accepting that moment now rather than thinking it's going to be like this always yeah and you know you talked about your anxiety with Lola with trying to get out the house and how overwhelming it all felt did you feel the same I mean with two and three or it's difficult isn't it because in some ways you know what you're doing but in other ways you have more children to look after more children, <laughs> I know. how did you find that well one to two was harder than two to three okay. so Lockie he just bobs along and he's that kind of nature as well he just gets on and actually developmentally probably a little bit quicker because it's easier to chuck some more fish fingers at him than puree stuff or whatever you know it's kind of you and you have a bit more confidence with those sorts of things because you've done it a few times but yeah leaving the house for the first time with two of them you know I mean that was I mean it's so intense but and you, you're kind of looking around you for the remember I went to a soft play and you just want to catch the eye of one mum to just yes. give you that little acknowledgement of you know you've got this it's okay I know how this feels so I don't know you just you just somehow do it I've, there's this video of me with Harry where I am literally <laughs> Kit had pooed everywhere you know when they just when it just goes and it's just it's everywhere and Lola needed food because there was only like 18 months between them so she was right. still little in itself. yeah that's really hard and I had got some scissors to cut the um baby growth because I mean, it was just it was just I can't remember exactly the scenario anyway as you can imagine like scissors on the floor and a toddler not a good mix like trying to sort out this baby I had like oh it was just it was just utter chaos utter chaos but you yeah I don't know you just somehow you yeah that moment passes and now I can look back at it with a smile but at the time I was just like this is so intense this is so intense and you just want someone to walk through the door and be another pair of hands I love what you say about wanting to catch the eye of other mums at softplay and stuff because I think one thing that I found actually really amazing about becoming a parent was this sort of feeling that you were somehow in a club with all these strangers that you didn't know who are walking down the street and I walk along you know dragging my son along to nursery and I'll see someone pushing an empty pram back from the nursery run in the other direction I have no idea who they are but we exchange a little sort of like yeah yeah parenting look and yeah, it just helps doesn't it you know it's not the same as someone coming in and helping clean up a nappy while so you can make your toddler dinner but just knowing yeah. that other people are going through the same thing and you're not crazy is also helpful yeah. isn't it exactly exactly also I think when you're pregnant people are really like kind like open the door for you mm-hmm. and are really like offer you a seat and all the rest of it but when you've got the baby suddenly all that changes yes oh my god (laughs) so I mean I love that depiction of a scene of chaos in your household I think a lot of people relate to that and I think you know your mindfulness for mum's book is all about like learning to cope with those moments what sort of your go-to hack as it were for like when you find yourself in a moment of utter chaos finding some calm and not losing your mind well I think the pivotal moment of mindfulness for mums was 
when I when we were trying for a baby, um, I used to do a lot of like mindfulness and meditation. And when I then had a baby, it was as if I didn't have time to do that. Like, when would I have time? And I think when you think of meditation or mindfulness, you think I need to go and sit in a room and sit cross-legged and try not to think about anything, which is basically impossible. Mm-hmm. And we've got about a thousand things going around our heads. But when Kit was eight weeks old, he was really ill with bronchitis. And we were, I was blue lighted with Kit and Lola in the ambulance. And it was really serious. He was, it was awful. And my anxiety just, from that moment, just rocketed. And I couldn't sleep. The worry in the weeks after kind of what had happened. And I had been on my own and... It just—it was just the catastrophizing that was going on. And Harry said, "Why have you stopped your mindfulness?" Because I guess it had always been my anchor—not only through fertility, but just through my twenties with anxiety. It was—it was the one thing that kind of kept me a little bit more grounded. And I said, "Why? Well, yeah, I haven't got time." And he found a local course of mindfulness for mums, basically, and it was run by the most amazing lady, Olivia. And I was suddenly like, so actually I'm missing a trick here because there are loads of moments in the day where I can take a mindful pause or begin to teach mindfulness to my children and incorporate it into their lives as well to kind of look after everybody's mental health. So I started to do little things like there's one which is called Calm Begins With Me because often when the chaos is happening around you, you jump into that chaos, of course. But actually, if you're able to find that calm, they more often than not will either join you or they won't. But you're still in that place of calm rather than joining them in, in that chaos. Yeah. So there was one um, uh, sort of mindfulness tip, which was called Calm Begins With Me which is where you simply use your thumb and your fingers. So you start with your index finger. So you just go through your fingers, one, touching each finger with your thumb, two, three, four. And as you go, you say the words, calm begins with me. Or it might, you know, or patience begins with me. Acceptance, whichever word you need in that moment. And you, you don't necessarily need to say it out loud. But if you're in one of those moments where you've got a toddler literally rolling around on the floor and you need to get you know, to school or whatever, if you've done it often enough, it triggers that moment for you to just remember to try and find that breath and take that pause. And it, I do feel if you practice it enough, you do start to remember what that zone feels like, if that makes sense. And then, I mean, there's loads of things like, with the children, um, I do a lot of breathing exercises with them. Lola particularly finds it really helpful now. And she'll often say to me, let's do a breathing um, <laughs> break, mummy, or whatever, because she's got upset about something. So there's something called take five, where you, you spread your hand out and it's like, Spread it. I'm trying to explain. Yeah. <laughs> Lilith's not watching. I was gonna say she's demonstrating beautifully on the video, but yeah. <laughs> so you spread your hand wide with your left hand, and the first finger of your right hand traces the outline of your hand. So starting with your thumb. So as you trace your first finger up your thumb, you breathe in, 
And as you trace it down, you breathe out. And then as you trace your whole hand down, round, that's five deep breaths, which is enough to calm your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And children can use it at school, something where they're feeling overwhelmed, a test, or people, adults use it if you're feeling, I don't know, you're on public transport and the tube has stopped and it's making you feel anxious. And it's a physical exercise so you it's actually involving touch as well which some people find easier than trying to go inward and taking breaths yeah I think that's a really great tip and also it's kind of a bit like a fun game isn't it for kids as well it's something you can see how they're like oh let's do the fun take five game and actually it's really helping them and kids are so much better than us aren't they at just actually in a way, expressing how they feel without any kind of awkwardness or embarrassment. You know, my, my son just tells me, I need some chill time now, mummy, and gets and sits on the Aww. sofa or something. I'm like, okay, well done. I probably do too. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, it's, exactly. And they always see us so busy. I, I always remember that my mum, she never sat down. Yeah. She still doesn't sit down. But I mean, children are also really naturally mindful. So they're kind of the greatest teachers in it. Like the walk to school Simple things like going another route can just help shift your focus mm. or looking up instead of down yeah. and doing it with your kids. So I find that helpful because Lola and Kit often, by the time we've left the house in the morning, they're squabbling about yeah. something. So it just distracts their attention. You see if it's green, what, you know, anything to try and keep the peace yes. and find the calm. And how do you cope with kind of judgment? Because I mean, I think all mums feel like it's very easy to get judged for anything. You know, you breastfeed, you don't breastfeed, you work, you don't work. People have got opinions about everything that you do. But obviously you're doing quite a lot of your parenting in the public eye. So how do, I mean, do you experience negative comments? And and if you do, how do you cope with that? So I'm, I'm human like everybody. And all I've ever tried to do, I guess, on my, I never intended to go on Instagram and then sort of have this career. I trained as a violinist and, but I, when I went through the fertility struggles, it was a way I felt I could potentially help others feel less alone through fertility struggles. Something I felt I didn't really have because Instagram's the social kind of platform just wasn't there at that time. And so initially I got, just all obviously lots of people just being appreciative and, and actually I got great comfort from it. And similarly, going into parenthood, I get an awful lot of comfort when I share a post and someone says, oh, my kid too, or, you know, and I wish I could sit and reply to people and but life is ridiculously busy like it is for all of us. But I am as natural as I am on that on socials. So I kind of think if people don't like it, they don't have to follow. And if people do, then we can be a nice, friendly community who support one another. And I'm never going to please everybody. You know, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. There are there have been times when I've said to Harry, this is quite lonely, because when you work on social media, you're basically on your own. There's no team. There's nobody saying anything. You've got to do it. You've got to create, think of content and and could it kind of keep it going but when it comes to judgment yeah I mean I I've had my fair bit when it comes to breastfeeding and bottle feeding that's always a very sensitive subject very very difficult to talk about without offending someone I found you will always you cannot win no on that subject 
cannot win. That's the subject that I that I think I did cry in the shower mm. <laughs> after some comments on that. Um, it's so hard, isn't it? Because it's so personal. And I sort of very naively, when I launched, was like, oh, yeah, breastfeeding and made a few sort of like comments about it that I thought was positive and supportive. And I got an absolute sort of deluge of like negative comments and you're not being sensitive to people in this specific circumstance back. And, and I find it really upsetting as well. And it just made me realise, oh, God, you know, like this is like this is a really hot topic. I mean, it's almost like the worst, like, I don't know, religion or Brexit or something could be like, it's worse than that. Like people have got such strong views either way. And yeah, it's quite terrifying sometimes. The other topic is, um, is sleep. Oh yeah. Talking sleep. about the baby's sleep. Yeah. My sort of theory is that the reason that it's so sensitive is because these things are both so hard and we get so little support with them. So everyone is sort of on the defensive because they've been through such a difficult time and nobody's understood and no one's supported. And then if you say something, people feel like, oh, well, that doesn't 100% reflect my experience. And now I feel judged myself. And it's so hard, isn't it? It is hard. But I think it's also very natural because we judge ourselves. So we're questioning about whether we're being judged because we're constantly judging ourselves at the end of the day. And it's trying to find that kind voice. I always try and think of... When I've had a day where I just feel like I've really just got it all wrong. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, Izzy, just think of one thing that you actually did good today with parenting. And there is always something. Even if there it's just always that something. they're all still here at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're all in this house, in their pyjamas, in bed. <laughs> I wanted to touch briefly on the kind of physical side of things as well and I know you talked about having mastitis and and that being really difficult but I think you know one of the big problems with the emotional struggles and the psychological difficulties we can have when we become a new parent is that actually a lot of the physical recovery side of things are a huge shock to us as well and like you say the antenatal classes don't really warn you about any of these things and we don't really talk about them that openly in public so I mean was there anything from that side of things about your experiences after any of your births that that surprised you or you wish you'd been told more about? I was fortunate that I physically was pretty okay after each birth that was something I, I am grateful for however my pelvic floor is not in the best place that it could be after three children. And there are definitely things about that which you just don't know enough about. And we're not looked after enough, our pelvic floor health. And it's that thing, someone says pelvic floor, and you like quickly squeeze your pelvic floor. Oh, "Oh, yes, I'm supposed to do that. But I think that's long-term been the thing perhaps that that I have struggled with. And... There are some strange things like after birth, like with Lockie, I've had vertigo. Oh, wow. And and they think that it might be from a pelvic instability. Um, just little things like that, that I think we just underestimate what our bodies have actually been through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Long term as well. And then in the immediate, I think, I wasn't prepared for the length of time that you bleed. Mm -hmm. And I found that a little bit triggering having gone through 
a miscarriage yeah um, so yeah and then the one the tip that someone did give me which I've used with all of them is a sanitary pad in the freezer like wet a sanitary pad and then put it in between your pants that was just like <laughs> the best feeling <laughs> um yeah so I think and then obviously it was total breast management from yeah. the feeding it was my biggest hurdle yeah and kind of immediately yeah I think there's two phases isn't there because there's that sort of immediate post-birth oh my god I feel like I've been in a fight sort of situation oh. where you're sitting on frozen pads and your boobs are a nightmare and all of this stuff that's going on and you might have a c-section scar as well or you you can really feel sort of head to toe surreal kind of like you've mentioned about sweating and all of those sort of crazy things that nobody tells you are actually quite normal or quite common at least and then I think what you said is really important about the long term it's that sort of looking back nine months a couple of years later or when you have your next child and thinking hmm actually there are things here that are not quite as they should be and maybe I should have had some help with that. I mean, have you been given any sort of help and support with things like your pelvic floor? I think only because I've gone for that support. Yeah, you've sought it out. And I do think there are some countries where it is a standard practice that women's pelvic floor health is checked. Yeah. And it's funny because of all the treatments I've had, like over the years with fertility, and times I've been scanned various things prodded and poked I felt quite vulnerable going for a pelvic floor check Mm. Um, I guess it's I don't know it felt it's quite a thing so I think it's not an easy thing to go and do but my pelvic floor issues are not actually the kind of common ones that you think happen like I don't it's not like I'm rushing for the loo or anything like that Um, I just can't wear tampons okay so it's to do with the, I don't know, there's an anti-posterior. There's some, I can't remember the exact term for it. And so that was kind of what what took me to a physio, a kind of woman's health physio, mm-hmm. to try and strengthen my pelvic floor. But otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have really known that there was anything. Yeah. Untoward. And I think, you know, it's great that you can be open about that because actually I think that happens to lots and lots of people. I mean, this sort of statistic suggests that between one in three and one in two women have some kind of pelvic floor issue. And so actually things like not being able to wear tampons or not feeling like you can go running or all of those yeah. things are actually so, so common. But I think it's so easy, isn't it, to feel like you're the only one in that situation and that makes it even feeling more embarrassing and difficult yeah. Yeah. to go forward and get help. Brilliant. So on that cheerful note, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, <laughs> if we could change the world, if there was one thing that you could change about the world we live in that would make things better for new mums, what would that be? Yeah, I was thinking about this and I think there are some countries that do actually offer this, but I think after we have a baby, we should be visited more in those first few weeks when you're trying to establish feeding when you're trying to understand your baby, when you have any questions. When I say visited more, I mean in terms of like a health professional. Mm -hmm. My sister-in-law is Dutch and they have basically a midwife that comes for two weeks, standard. Every day? Every day. Amazing. 
and I do it not all day but you yeah. know for a few hours Just for a bit, yeah yeah and even if it's because mum needs to rest or anything like that and I mean that is an unbelievable thing to have yeah but amazing. I do feel that we are like the care in hospital you know every, obviously everybody's experience is diff- different and mine was positive but you do suddenly then feel a bit left mm-hmm. afterwards and you've got to get to that appointment you've got to remember a little red book which yeah. you can never find <laughs> um yeah so I mean that's probably a big big wish and hope but I just think we could do with more immediate support after baby is born just to check our own well-being as well as babies yeah because how you get started sets the tone doesn't it in a way like those first few weeks if you don't get like the right care at that point it really can have repercussions mm-hmm. for you for your baby for your mental health just for yeah. a lot of months or even years afterwards I mean certainly it's that first week after my son was born that I'm like oh god that was the worst week of my life in many ways I mean it was amazing that he was here but so many terrible things happened and actually if we'd had the right care during that time maybe you know yeah it, it would the whole thing would have been a glorious wonderful positive experience and when and often now as well we don't live close to family we don't have that accessibleness of having parents and aunts and brothers and sisters and people to it's just we live very differently now it's not that same sort of community I remember when Lockie was born someone sent me a message saying how are the trenches (laughs) I thought that was such a good way of explaining it that's perfect I'm totally gonna steal that and use that from now on brilliant (laughs) if you'd like to hear more from Izzy you can find her on Instagram where she's at Mrs underscore Izzy Judd Izzy's books, Dare to Dream and Mindfulness for Mums, are both available now. I've put links to where you can buy them in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Mother Bodies and for spreading the word that mum's health does matter. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, please, please don't suffer in silence. I've put some links in the show notes for organisations that offer support. Please do remember that nothing on this podcast should be taken as a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have any concerns about your physical or mental health, please contact a healthcare professional like your GP, midwife, health visitor, a women's health physiotherapist or your local counselling service. Hit subscribe or follow now to get Mother Bodies every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at Mother Bodies.